Okay, so we are up to number five of our 11 for 11.11. We are talking today the film Kokoda. I've chosen this film specifically because it does a really great job of showing the psychological pressure that soldiers faced in battle uh, in World War II. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really excited about this one. We've got a lot of good things to talk about. Uh, the movie again, Kokoda. Let's go. Welcome to Shattered the Podcast. Sharing the lived experience of mental illness on a father, a mother, a family. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, so today's film that we're reviewing is Kokoda. Uh, another one of my personal favorites for a number of different reasons. Uh, the first and foremost is you don't see a lot of films about this battle. So Kokoda. During World War II, the Japanese decided that they were going to invade Port Moresby. And they sent a amphibious task force to go to... Uh, take Port Moresby from the sea. The famous battle of the Coral Sea happens and that entire task force is sent back. So the Japanese decide to land on the northern side of Papua New Guinea and they're going to fight over the Owen Stanley Ranges, um, which on a map doesn't look like too bad a trip. Um, yeah, it'll be a lot more work, but seems eminently workable. Now, the problem was that all of the commanders of the armed forces in this area underestimated how difficult the terrain was, both the Japanese and the Australian, uh, and ultimately American under Douglas MacArthur. The Japanese land. The Australians know that they've landed and they've said, well, let's just send what we got. And what they had was a unit that has become well known as the 39th, 39th Battalion. Now, these guys weren't regular army. They weren't Australian Imperial Force. They were militiamen. They were generally younger. They were generally unfit, um, unsuitable for um, extended duty with the Australian Imperial Force. So they were seen as lesser soldiers. In fact, they were called chocos, as in they were chocolate soldiers who would melt in the sun. And ostensibly, when these guys went to Port Moresby initially, they were told to pack their tennis rackets. Um, they were basically going to go there, do garrison duty, and it would be quite a fun uh, posting for them. So these blokes have landed in Papua New Guinea. They've received minimal training. And the Japanese have landed on the other side of the Owen Stanley Ranges. So these are all that they've got. So they send them over the ranges, assuming that it will take maybe five days. Um, you know, it's just a, it's a regular journey. It's just kind of, kind of hills. 
Well, what they didn't understand that, that this region was uncharted for a very, very good reason. It's because it was difficult to go anywhere in the Owen Stanleys. The ridge lines, thousands of meters high, and then thousands of meters down. There was at one stage where a guy said, um, it was a 10 hour trip down into a gully and up the other side. And the blokes could speak to each other at the top of the range. So they were that close physically, but it was a 10 hour journey to walk all the way down and go all the way back up the other side. There was a place that they called the golden staircase. And this was a soul crushing ascent over steps that had been made, but were uneven. So let's set the scene. We've got some untrained Australian soldiers going over one of the most difficult landscapes in the history of warfare to meet a professional veteran Japanese army. I mean, these are the Japanese soldiers that have fought in Malaya. Some have fought in China. Uh, they fought in Rabul. Um, they fought all over the, the, the Pacific. So these guys are ready and willing to go. Now, when we talk about this unit of blokes, we're only talking like 100, 150 blokes, Australians. They're facing off against five to 6,000 Japanese. Um, eventually, they would number about 12,000, and uh, they were basically underarmed. They didn't have any heavy machine guns. They didn't have any mortars. They were just dudes with rifles. So, professional Japanese army has landed. Um, of course, wherever the Japanese landed in World War II, there's massacres, They've killed a bunch of civilians. They've killed a bunch of natives. And, of course, they kill any soldier that they capture. These young Australians, as unprepared as they were, fought a battle against these Japanese, which, to call it a superhuman effort, downplays it. These guys should have been wiped out in five minutes by these thousands of Japanese, but they fought them for weeks, all the while going backwards. It's called a, a, an ordered retreat, fighting withdrawal. These guys were fighting backwards, up these cliffs, down these cliffs, through little native villages. The Japanese were, had superior tactics. They had superior ammunition and arms. They had superior uniforms. They had rudimentary camouflage. The Australians were basically wearing the same uniforms that the dudes in the desert wore, the bright yellow. Not like bright yellow, like yellow yellow, but like, you know, sand yellow. Absolutely unable to... Um, blend in in the jungle. Now, because the, it took so long to go over the Owen Stanleys, the men were often hungry. 
they had to eat off the land where they could. And remember, there was only a couple of native villages there. Most of the natives had scarpered. As soon as they heard about how horrific the Japanese were, they uh, just headed for the hills. Um, there were some natives that sided with the Japanese. Um, and a lot of the Papua New Guineans actually uh, were recruited and worked as carrying parties for the Australians. Um, first off, they carried food to them, but then they would carry the wounded out. Um, I actually asked a Papua New Guinean if they thought that the term fuzzy wuzzy angel was uh, racist. And they said, no, no, they wore it as a badge of honor because it was never meant as an insult. And these guys did. They thought of the fuzzy wuzzies as angels. And that's what they were called, fuzzy wuzzy angels. The fighting troops loved these Papua New Guineans, loved them. In the film itself, we see it's the late stages of the battle. The troops from the 39th Battalion, they've been fighting for a month in the jungle pretty much consistently. They are dirty. They are diseased. They have malaria. They have dysentery. Um, the soles of their shoes have come off. Most of them are walking barefoot. Um, the only thing that is military about them is their weapons. They kept their weapons in perfect conditions because it was the only thing that was keeping them alive. But for all intents and purposes, they look like a bunch of beggars. Tells the battle of uh, Isarava, which is where the um, regular Australian army guys, guys from the 7th Division, had they were veterans. They'd fought in the Middle East against the Germans, the French, and the Italians. And I loved, uh, I watched a documentary once and they asked a guy about it, old digger. And he said, oh yeah, we'd had a go at the eye ties, the Frenchies and the Krauts. We thought, why not give the Japs a go? <laughs> I was like, okay, these guys are just incredible. The movie itself though, basically centers around the story of the, a small platoon, uh, eight guys initially, who are on their last legs. They're still operating, they're still effective, but they are dunskies. I once heard a, I read a book, The Silent Seventh, and one of the soldiers that had come from the Middle East, he, these guys were tanned, they were fit, they were trained, they were confident. They were good to go. When they showed up, the 39th guys described them as looking like gods. Like we just couldn't believe these giant Australian fit, healthy soldiers. And these fit soldiers looked at them and they, they saw a barefoot rabble of half-starved wretches. And yet these guys had fought for a month against the Japanese without let up. A couple of things that happen in this film. We see some of the brutality of the Japanese and all politically, political correctness aside, the Japanese army in World War II were savages. Um, 
There's no other way to put it. They show an instance of that and and the, the guys are watching their mate be tortured. Then there's another guy who's wounded and he doesn't want his mates to carry him. So he slinks off in the middle of the night to hide so that they won't find him. Basically goes off to die by himself. Then we've got the two brothers and they're tired. And one of them is wounded and they have to leave him behind. Something that actually happened a lot more than you think. Um, A unit would leave their wounded in a village They'd go back to the Australian lines and then come back with a strong patrol to get the wounded. They did it many, many times. In this one, the brother that's not wounded has got malaria. So he's shaking violently. Um, They don't have any drugs for him. And he's having these nightmares about his brother being dead. And then they show this battle at the end the Battle of Isarava, where the two Australian forces, the militia and the AIF men from the desert, um, held off the Japanese. There was still a little bit more retreating that they had to do. In the movie, what it does when we're talking mental illness, where it shines is in these moments of emotion. Um, There's... Another earlier scene where a guy, um, he, he just can't take it anymore and he runs and he gets killed. There's the dude that slithers off into the jungle to die by himself. The brother, the dreams, the nightmares that he has, partly because of the malaria, but also just because of his natural concern for his brother. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information. <laughs>